Welcome to Peak Providers NDIS podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and today I've got Anita Gova from Techability with me. What we're going to talk about today is saving money and saving time in the NDIS through IT strategy. Now, Anita is a lady that's very unique because she has got the expertise to give you a holistic, broad, as well as in-depth view of the relevant IT solution for you as a provider. Now, in terms of her background, she is the CEO and founder of Techability. She's got over 20 years of experience in IT, having worked in various roles in financial services and also risk management before moving into that sector. She's worked with everyone from government, education, retail, social enterprises, and also not-for-profit. And after 10 years of being an experienced IT professional, she decided to bring all of those years of experience um, and set up a for-purpose organization, helping out providers in the NDIS, notably again, TechAbility. So Anita, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's really a pleasure to have you on. Um, look, um, Anita, um, yeah. it was Brendan that introduced us um, and he said, oh, you've got to meet Anita um, because, you know, um, I think he saw two um, fellow IT people um, that were kind of two peas in a pod with a history working in that sector. Um, and yeah. um, he very much recommended um, with you know high regards what you do at TechAbility. So it's great to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so look, I mean, um, just for the benefit of the audience, like we've got people that are, you know, obviously providers here. Um, a lot of people in the, in the NDIS are often new to business, right? So that I'd say that's at least 70% of the time. Um, so they can mm-hmm. have people that are new to business, but also sometimes newer to IT solutions, right? So like for you and I, as former professionals, well, you're still a professional, I see, but you know what I mean, working in corporate, so to speak, I'm all about that. And I'm, I'm a bit of a inner geek, I'll say. Um, so, you know, for those that kind of like are segueing into the NDIS and maybe they don't have a background, um, you know, in the tech world, um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that face NDIS providers that specifically can be solved through IT solutions? Yeah, I think probably um, a lot of providers, what I hear from a lot of providers is the excessive amount of administration that they need to do in their day-to-day operations for running their business. Uh, They're in business because probably they want to care for people. Um, That's that's why they get into the business. Uh, But they find that the uh, amount of um, manual workarounds and manual effort that they're required to do um, their systems, maybe you don't talk to each other. If they do already have some systems, they're not talking to each other, having to duplicate a lot of information across various systems. Um, so I think that's probably the key thing is that the, the excess of administration work that they need to do. And I think that can be solved. I know that can be solved through mm. IT solutions, through the better IT solutions. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it all depends. You've got to think about business like a basically a workflow from left to right. And so it always starts off with sales and marketing, which is what I help help people with. And, you know, that'll be the, should we say, the spearhead of things. Like it, it means nothing unless you've got an inquiry, right? So one way or another, that could be an incoming phone call, an email campaign, an advert. You know, either way, we're getting some kind of a referral um, from a party, whether that be the support coordinator, the participant, the nominee, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I suppose like you've got the sales and marketing stage, which is a huge discussion in itself, but then you've got that, what I'll call the hot lead stage. So what I mean by a hot lead is someone's actually willing to present all of their information from a referral. Uh, when I say a client referral form, I'm saying you're, you're at the stage where you want to tell me your NDIS number, who your GP is, what your allergies are, what your disabilities are. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, in my own business, just out of transparency, I've put in place things like JotForm before. And JotForm is an example of an online web form. You can customize whatever field you want. And even just doing what I would think is the basic of a referral form, it was a hundred fields. You know, at once you actually mm-hmm. diligently go through all of that, you know, th- that's a lot of data that, um, you know, I suppose an example of a workaround would be JotForm can give me a PDF, but then what if that needs to go into my rostering system with all the relevant information, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you've already captured all this great information. Uh, in a, You know, if you're using an online form or in some cases paper forms, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've captured all this information. If it's in an online form, you want it to actually then transfer across to what you're going to use as your system to manage the client ongoing and to manage your rostering around that and your claiming and your billing. So that information is not lost and has to be re-entered somewhere else. Um, that's one of the sort of 
those heavy administration type burdens where uh, you find that a lot of organisations are, are capturing this information and then having to re-enter it into multiple different systems. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I suppose like even you touched on it there, the paper versus paperless um, journey, because, you know, I was a director of a place where it was so common that pieces of paper were what was happening at the houses because it was a sill provider. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we didn't have, we had a mixture of some cool systems and other things were like, wait a minute, we've got Microsoft Office 365 and we have the ability to put, even if we didn't sign up to a fancy system, we've got the ability as part of a subscription to put a SharePoint in place. And that SharePoint can be used collaboratively between employees and we can upload photos of the doctor visit paperwork or, uh, or go online and update a stool chart or whatever PRN register needed to be done. It could be done digitally from your mobile phone. So suppose like, would you agree that a lot of providers don't always um, know sometimes the almost the free option that's in front of them sometimes? Is it like with Microsoft yeah. and Google? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I see it every single day, people underutilizing what they've already got in their organization, mm. um, whether it's something as simple as Microsoft Suite, which has, you know, uh, I couldn't even tell you how many apps are in Microsoft Suite. There's probably 20 or more different applications within the Microsoft Suite, as you say, can be utilised across the organisation. It's all cloud-based these days. Uh, everyone can access it on their phone, on their iPad, on you know when they're in the office. It can be accessed and shared across the whole organisation. Mm. And those applications within the Microsoft Suite also talk to each other. So, you know, if you're capturing information and files in SharePoint, that can be accessed through Teams and you can have conversations and chats around that. You can do planning. You can add in a planner tool in Teams. And, you know, so there's lots of ways to actually use the tools that you've already got. Yeah. And, and even in some larger organisations, I see that they've spent an awful amount of money on huge systems that mm -hmm. cost a lot of money, but they're still underutilizing what they have in their systems and they're still using paper forms or they're sticking band-aids on things saying, oh, well, we can't do rostering very well. So we'll stick another rostering system in. Right. You had rostering in that other system. So why are you adding another rostering system? Yes. It happens all the time. Right. And and of course that's where you know people like yourselves and your business comes in because you help see through all of the distortion and the noise and the, yeah. and all, all of the mistakes in terms of double entry or manual workarounds and it, and it kind of clear, 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 make a clearing through the woods. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's got to be fit for purpose. It's got to be appropriate to scale. Like, you know, again, there's going to be solutions that work for the solopreneur style um, of, you know, just starting up. There's the midpoint small to mediums and there's there's the tens of millions, hundred million providers. Like it, it does, it does matter, of course, the size. But, I mean, even... You know, since the, yes, there is an administrative burden, but we've got the practice standards, we've got to do it. Like, you know, a very quick mention of Microsoft again. Like, I really liked using the automatic transcription of Microsoft Teams because it meant that as a general manager meeting, um, we could prove to our auditors automatically that we'd taken minutes of our meetings because all, all we did is activate that one setting which said, yes, automatically transcribe, which is just a, a written, you know, form, a written document, sorry. Um, yeah, that, that's brilliant because the, the auditors were like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. You know, what was the date of the meeting? <laughs> what exactly did you say? Sure. Click, click here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I see that a lot too, like um, maybe some slightly larger organisations, not always large, but um, who have boards and they've got a, a whole board who maybe they're going off using some other tool or maybe they've got someone manually taking minutes of meetings and manu manually managing all of their, their board papers and things um, where they, they're already using Microsoft Suite. Um, they could be actually utilising a SharePoint site, a Teams site, a Teams channel where that information is captured. Their meetings are all set up and established and their minutes are all done within the, within the system. So, yeah, that happens a lot. And I, I'm going to I'm going to call as because I'm a coach and I work with hundreds of providers. Like one one um, risky endeavor I've seen time and time again also is customized development. So what I mean by that is you can get an enthusiastic entrepreneur through their enthusiasm and their vision and their their ideas, which is a wonderful strength to have to be able to be able to go like, wow, we could build a system, we could do it, you know, build our own system. But then often as a coach, what I witness from third party looking in is that they'll spend 30, 40, 50 grand 
even more getting their their programmer right to put together the system and you think my gosh if you'd only taken that 30 40 grand and got yourself a subscription with fill in the blank you know you could have got that for five thousand dollars a year or something like do you like do you have a perspective on that like i'm sure it's kind of a complex discussion as when do you do custom build of a solution versus getting something off the shelf and customizing it yeah, well, having a background in product management and, and software development as well, um, I, I know how hard it is actually to develop your own systems. It's not just the development. They may spend $30,000, $40,000 on a developer to actually build it. It needs ongoing support. It needs on, ongoing administration. If you don't have the resources internally to manage that, then you're forever going to have to pay those additional costs. And I come across that a lot where people have... Uh, built out their own platforms and it might be on a, an established platform like a Dynamics or Salesforce or something like that, but they don't factor in the additional uh, development and, and ongoing administration of that. Uh, and then what if that person who has that set of skills leaves the organisation and then you don't have that skill set in the organisation anymore, you again have to outsource to a very expensive developer. Um, I, I kind of think that that's why there are so many um, client management systems in this space. There are over 60, by my count and counting, um, over 60 systems that are NDIS platforms in one way or another for different sort of segments of the market. Um, but there are so many out there. And I think that people have gone out there and developed their own and then thought, oh, we'll make this a product now. We'll sell it to other people. Wow. Uh, therefore, we've got all of these systems out there now. Right. And, and you've got to be careful of that. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, there will be times where there is a business case to do your own thing. But I, I would I would go out on a limb and say 80 percent of the time it might be wise not um, to to develop your own system, um, you know, and, and to and to go to something that's already built. But when you go to something that's built, one of the things that, you know, on, on your note there of like people have built, you know, lots of different specific functions like one thing i look out for is do you have a good knowledge bank library so you should be able to in my opinion enter into google any kind of problem that you want to do in that system and then they should have some kind of a knowledge bank is like where you can for people who don't know you can have a um an online library where you can type in how do i do blah 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 in the system and it will have the exact you know question that you're asking the solution the little video guide and the pictures and the open here do this press this like would you agree that amongst many other factors like having a good like available um how-to guide for the actual system is a is an important thing to consider yeah definitely and i mean when we uh, back to your point about steering away from developing your own system i'm i'm with you on that i i've heard that from many people over over the years and I do steer them away from it because there is so much additional work involved in that and there are so many systems already out there so why go build your own you know I could have done that when I started my business build another one of them but I didn't go down that path because I saw there were so many systems out there in the first place mm. and I think when you are looking at those systems and the options that you have available out of all of those systems you need to narrow that down down to what your requirements are you know what does your business need out of a system you need to then go through aside from the features and the functionality of the system you also need to go through that due diligence to look at you know important aspects like security and things like that but also what kind of training is available what kind of support is available it's just as important as the features and functions mm. is how you're actually going to be supported with that platform exactly um, now, if we talk about the, the what I'll call the verticals of business, and when, I'm, when I say that, I mean the sales and marketing process, human resources, accounting, you know, the billing within the NDIS process, um, and, mm -hmm. you know, other functions, I don't think I've mentioned rostering yet, so rostering, all these different types of function, right, in business, um, what, what, from your point of view, in an NDIS context, what, what are the, the main verticals like that, that, you know, NDIS-focused IT solutions um, add value to? Mm. Yeah, I've, um, I've got a really nice little diagram which I can share with you later um, about sure. this. But, um, yeah, so there's there's eight sort of verticals, if you like, sure. which sounds like a lot. <laughs> and, and I would say that this is probably scalable, um, that, you know, there are certain systems that can do 
that can cross over. Um, so there's you would have obviously your client management, your client information, your engagement with your clients, um, uh, somewhere where you can actually uh, capture support plans, goals, mm. tasks, activities that you need to do with your clients, um, staff management, uh, so staff information, you know, what skills do my staff have, um, you know, who who can they support in the organisation, the rostering, the timesheets, very important, obviously. Mm. Um, then you've got things like documents, you know, and um, workflows, so information, uh, other documents and information, your service agreements and your mm -hmm. support plans and reports and things like that need to be captured. Uh, policies, procedures, mm -hmm. uh, that's obviously part of NDIS registration. You need to have somewhere where all of your policies and procedures are documented, are shared with your team members. Um, then you've got financials, so your invoicing, mm -hmm. claiming, um, payroll, uh, financial reporting, uh, and then, of course, quality and compliance. So, again, back to that sort of policy point is that you need to actually be managing all of those risks. Be, when the auditors come in, you need to have all that information somewhere that's um, available that they can see that you're following the guidelines. And then, of course, reporting. So, um, so there's sort of eight key kind mm. of verticals, if you like, a lot of those can be done across systems. So yes. you might find, a, you know, a really good client management system will have a lot of those aspects built in. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, scalability, you've got to work out as a small business, you know, are you going to go with this big system that can do everything? Um, but for larger organisations, probably where they um, where they they've got the money to spend on a on a bigger system a, a good client management system will have a lot of those aspects you know you mm. could probably get away with having a client management system a finance system mm. and of course your microsoft suite um and that may be all you need mm -hmm. um as you grow you might need to get a separate hr system or something mm -hmm. like that or a quality system so i think um you know when you start to scale up you need to include other functionality you need to add to the functionality your business is growing you may be doing different services offering different services um, what suits you as a sole trade or a small business is not necessarily going to suit you once you grow mm -hmm. so you need to obviously review those systems over time make sure your systems are talking to each other mm -hmm. really important that you're not having systems that are just, you, again, goes back to that duplication of information, having to manually enter things from one system to another because they don't talk to each other. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Wow, love, love the overview. Thank you. I mean, so for example, when you said a staff management software, you helped my mind shift away from just rostering in a good way. I was like, it's always all about, I was rostering, you have your rostering system. Um, but, but staff management, of course, is not just about rostering. Um, like there are solutions out there that can, um, within the same system, have an integration about things such as first aid certificates, right? Because you know, because from a in principle, one should not be putting um, a member of staff that has an expired uh, certificate on a shift, right? So some some systems actually can give you that hard error where you're not allowed to go on a shift unless your you know certificate's been updated. And then in addition to that, of course, you can have workflows to remind both staff and management that. The first aid certificate is coming up for expiration right so yes yeah, not you, you thank you you helped me go like oh this is so not just rostering you know because rostering is that yeah. function what i just said and of course exporting to essentially the billing and payroll function you know how do we collect money as providers and how do we pay our staff which you know needs to be done yeah. very well doesn't it uh, yeah. yeah yeah exactly i mean there's that, that um compliance that you need around your staff members around things like that certifications also capturing things like um just preferences you know yes and some of the really good systems out there will have the ability to identify the client's preferences you know maybe this client speaks a certain language mm -hmm. uh maybe they prefer female workers or whatever it is or also that they may need someone who has skills in pig feed or uh, epilepsy management or you know certain certain skill sets so you can identify 
what the client needs, what the staff members have, what skills they have. And then when you're doing the rostering, it can match those people up and say, okay, this is the, these are the right staff members for this client. So it's a little more than just rostering. It's sort of capturing all those certifications, all those skill sets and making sure that you're finding the right fit for your clients. Well, it, it, absolutely right. And that, that's a great example. And let me just throw one final other thought into that one. You've also got where the person lives and where the client is, right? You know, because uh, mm. some providers work across, I'd call them, um, should we say, hubs of excellence, right? So you've got, hey, the Sydney CBD hub, the Western Sydney is the South, you know, the Wollongong hub, the you pick a hub, you know, in our own Australia. The point is, is that most workers aren't willing to go more than 30 minutes in terms of traveling to a shift. So, you know, that's highly relevant to have that up-to-date information so they can go, this is a, as well as the skill set and the training, this person, you know, can go there too. The other thought that I have around that is that you made me realize that, you know, I also have an education background. And so I, I think about learning and development and training and having a learning plan, you know, for an employee. Um, so that can link to a learning management system and the, and the courses on there that you've got. But but again, a good example of information flow would be if you know these 10 members of staff don't have any manual handling training, then maybe we need to do three things. Maybe we need to do an online course that verifies they get the, the, the concept of manual handling. Maybe they need to go to an in-person manual handling thing. And then finally, that information should only be updated inside of essentially this rostering arena um, once they have tick, you know, once they've got the manual handling tick against their, yeah. their file, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's a, a really great point. And on the that um, point about the location, the other important point there is it's not, not just the worker getting to client A, who's the client, who's their next client, you know, yes. so they've then got to get from client A to client B. <clears throat> you don't want them having to drive, you know, 100 kilometres to the next client. Yeah. Um, that's wasting time, you know. It, so you need to, that, that's another sort of really great way of um, using the rostering functionality and using those, the data that you have in your systems mm-hmm. to make sure that you, you're doing, you know, it's the most efficient way of rostering and, mm-hmm. Um, scheduling and utilizing your staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, this again comes to the scaling point. So the good and exciting news for NDIS providers um, from a business point of view is that if you do a good job, you can go from zero to 50 staff in a matter of yeah. one to two years. Um, like yeah. I see that all the time. So that's the exciting yeah. news as a business owner, right? But then but then the whole, this whole IT strategy thing, the, you yeah. um, the, the level of focus that is is necessary as you scale is crucial, right? So like um, just as a quick shout out to, um, you know, a, a company that um, we collaborate with is Paycat. You know, and there's lots of different solutions out there, but Paycat's a great example um, of a solution that will pick up every every element of the Shads Award in terms of, say, the split shift. Well, here's your $18 because you did a split shift or, you know, you did overtime or you got a meal allowance and like it will pick up, based on, yeah, on the timesheet data, um, a much more accurate um, expression of the Shad's Award um, so that basically you're avoiding a fair work claim. You know, that, that's how serious it can become. And it's very real, isn't it, when you're going from 50 to 100 yeah. to 200 staff? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and also making sure that you're, um, you know, we've got this sort of two-hour minimum yep. rostering. Uh, you've got um, other factors like they're, they're um, contract states that they're doing X amount of hours per fortnight or, or whatever the case is. So you've got to manage all of that that as well. So mm. and and integrating, you know, that information, your rostering information with your payroll, uh, mm-hmm. equally mm-hmm. important. You know, a, a lot of these sort of client management systems aren't going to do your payroll. Mm. Some of them have got some pay, um, some award interpretation built in, mm-hmm. which can be useful, but it's generally um, uh, just information that then gets sent off the payroll system. So it's mm. not sort of doing totally doing your award interpretation. It's adding your guide, adding the guidelines in there around the award mm. uh, and then handing that off to a payroll system. Yes, exactly. And then again, like when you think about money and, you know, what it might cost, like my, one of my favorite systems holistically is like the, the conceptually, sorry, um, is the idea that you can start as a small provider and then grow with it. So, you know, if you, say for example, if something costs, um, you know, 
$6 per employee per month to do your payroll. And, and you go, my God, $6 per employee. You know, like you go, oh, that's, that's a lot of money because I've got 50. But then you, when you start having the mindset of, but I'm paying my payroll person $60 an hour to do the payroll run or something, and okay. they're not spending two hours on this anymore. They're spending 10 minutes maximum per employee because they're just doing a sense check because the system's done it for them. That's a cool example of it scales business case wise. And it also genuinely should save you money, shouldn't it financially? Because it's taking the human error and the human labor out of things. Yeah, absolutely. When And when I do uh, IT strategies for organizations, we look at all of that. You know, you look at, yeah. okay, you're currently doing this very manually. You know, you've got all of these extra sort of bodies there doing the work you're paying them you know as you say like 60 grand a year or whatever their their wage is as opposed to putting a system in that's going to do this and maybe you're going to spend 20 dollars a year on that system mm. well that's half a wage mm -hmm. uh you know it's not saying that you necessarily have to cut people you know from the the back office you may be able to reutilize them. You may be able to do things a lot better. You know, you, you're becoming more efficient rather than just cutting staff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's um, it's certainly a factor. Like people do tend to look at, okay, that's just dollars per user. You know, I've got all these casual staff, and I'm having to pay them. You know, buy a Microsoft license for them plus you know, the client management system license plus a payroll license and, you know, all these different things. They just see it as dollars as, as cost of the employee. I mean, that is the total cost of employment. Um, but you need to factor in where you're saving as yes. well from the effort that's happening in the back office. Correct, correct. Um, okay, well, look, I, um, I, I want to try and stay away from specific systems because I know that, like, you know, it's such an in-depth conversation, isn't it? Let's go. Let's yeah. go macro for a second and talk about the industry, right? So, um, we have the new Pace system, P-A-C-E, um, coming out. What's your What's your opinion and take on that? Well, it's a good question. Uh, not an easy one to answer because I don't yet have a lot of experience with it um, yep. because it's really just uh, starting to roll out. So mm -hmm. it's, it's rolled out, obviously, in Tasmania. I don't think completely, but it's rolled out to some people in Tasmania and a few other areas. Um, but I'm keeping tabs on it, <laughs> keeping mm -hmm. tabs on what's going on with it. And, and I just attended a session on that the other day, actually. They haven't had a bit of an update session for providers, which I sat in on. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think at its core, they're implementing a new system because they need to implement a new system. Um, like at its core, it's, it's a government department putting a new system in because they have to. Mm -hmm. they're, they're moving to the new Salesforce-based uh, platform. The old system um, was on a SAP uh, platform and has been around for a long time. And obviously they've received lots of feedback and negative, negative comments around that platform. So they're moving to something that they see as being uh, I think more pliable. Uh, it's, uh, Salesforce is a much more customizable platform, so they can do a lot more with it, which is a wise move. It's also highly integratable, uh, so you know a lot of other other platforms can plug into it. Uh, so that's you know a really good advantage um, in terms of the benefits for providers. Um, the aim of it is to reduce the administrative overheads, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you if that's working or not yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> but so. that's the aim. That's the goal. <laughs> yep. Um, and I mean, they're going to have, obviously there's new features like being able to not having to, um, create service bookings anymore, which, you know, that's one tick, not having to do that for a lot of providers, removing the need for single claims, um, doing all claims by bulk upload, um, a apparently simpler, uh, provider portal, uh, anyone who's used Proto will appreciate that. <laughs> well, what, one that actually works would be nice. Um, the, the, well, yeah, the one provider that's sort portal of... it could be a little tetra. Uh, detri what's the word? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't. It, uh, it doesn't not always. It doesn't temperamental. Always... Temperamental. Sorry, thank you. You knew the word I was trying to search for. There, I was struggling. Thank you. It's temperamental. And you go, wait a minute. Yes. Why can't I edit? Edit. It's not doing anything. It's just going in circles. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think one that's up and live. Uh, consistently will be great yeah, <laughs> for a yes. start. 
Um, but, you know, they, they're sort of saying that you'll be able to view participants' plans and budgets in there, process your claims, mm -hmm. submit reports, things like that. So it's it's should be a lot more usable. I mean, I've used Salesforce platforms over the years plenty of times. Um, so I know it's a it's a highly usable system from yeah. a from an end user perspective. So mm -hmm. I would think that it is going to provide a lot of improvements. Um, the the project is rolling out very slowly um and i think you know that's not such a bad thing um because i think they need to do it well and and taking the time to do it properly and the way that they're doing it in uh, rolling it out across a small region to start with and certain provider groups i think that's a sensible approach um we don't have really a timeline even the update i went to the other day didn't really give a definitive timeline as to when it would be completely rolled out uh, I wouldn't be holding your breath. Uh, I think we'll be living with Proto for a, for a while yet, yes. most of us. Well, I don't <laughs> um, know how hopefully... these projects go. Yeah, so I mean, that, that sounds yeah. like it could be years away, honestly, in terms of the mass market. Um, yeah, I mean, I sort, of, I sort of said to someone who kind of said, oh, you know, maybe we should hold off on doing something until uh, Pace is live. And I'm like, well, that could be like 2025 really yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. i i reckon that's probably when we're likely to see it fully rolled out um i haven't seen them publish any dates as such but a project like this across a, a such a large sector i think will take quite some time agreed agreed very much so um let, let's find it back to the basics again and say let's imagine we're a new ndis provider and we're just starting out um if you had mm -hmm. to pick only one IT system. And, and let, let me just put aside Microsoft and Google Workspace for a second, because everyone sort of needs an email address, right? Um, if we put those aside, what would be the one system, if you could only pick one, um, what would be like the one type of system that you would suggest is the most crucial thing to start with as a provider? Well, uh, I was going to say, you know, Microsoft. I was going to say, or, or not, I'm saying Microsoft, but Microsoft, Google, you know, it's, it's your choice where you head with that. But most people use Microsoft. Um, I Actually, the first thing people I think should do is get a domain name. True, yes. <laughs> proper domain name. And, uh, a you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a, a professional, you know, a business email come from a Gmail account, you know, gmail.com. <laughs> I think it's so unprofessional. So a professional business domain yes. and a proper business productivity platform like Microsoft, Google, I think is absolutely essential. Number one thing that you should be doing. Uh, but that, but in terms of systems, specific industry-based systems, uh, a client management system without without doubt is, is the key thing that you need. You need somewhere that you can actually keep your information on your clients mm -hmm. um, and you need to be able to, you know, map that through to rostering if you do rostering depends on the type of business of course but you need to be able to actually run your business and mm. the client management systems in this space um really are they're fit for purpose for the industry they're all built specifically most of them i said all but probably you know a small percentage of them have been you know crm platforms that have been tweaked um they're built for the industry. They do everything that you need. You know, obviously you're going to have to identify the right system, uh, the right client management system. And you don't need to go out there and, you know, as a startup, you don't need to go out there and get the biggest, best, you know, top of the range system. You know, some of these systems cost a bomb. Like you, you can't as a startup do that. Uh, you know, there are some really great, simple, quiet, cost-effective systems out there that can do what you need now and then you can grow with it. You know, over time, I said it before, over time you need to review that as you scale and you grow mm. um, to make sure that your systems are keeping up with your business. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, let, let's let's bring together Microsoft example, uh, Office 365, um, and the client management software. Because, like, um, here's a question I've got for you. Like, it's common as an NDIS provider to get a lot of referral information, like we talked about, and then it ultimately needs to end up in a, a living document of a care plan or support plan, mm -hmm. same thing. Um, now there's lots of pieces of information that ultimately get there and you can be, you can either just type it up or you can get fancy and you know bring data in and all that stuff. Um, is there, I, I, I personally, for a startup perspective, I get attracted to the idea of 
literally just using Office 365, uh, whether it be SharePoints, things like that, having those care plans in there. Like what, what, where I know that you can do that as an approach to client management, but where do you, if you, if you don't have any other systems beyond Microsoft Office, Office um, mm -hmm. where do you start hitting your head against the ceiling to therefore start needing a, a client management, you know, piece of dedicated software? Um, I think once you get to sort of, well, again, depends a little bit on the type of work you're doing, the type of services that you're delivering. Uh, if you're a, you know, support coordinator or something like that, you know, where you don't have a lot of other uh, staff, you know, you're not doing rostering, things like that, it's doable, you know, in, in a in a Microsoft type platform. Um, if you're having to manage staff, you're having to manage rostering, yep. uh, houses, you know, if you're doing yes. housing services, things like that, that's where I think, and I think when you get to the point you've got a few staff, yes. you know, that's where you start to realise this isn't going to work, just, you know, sharing information across emails and Teams and SharePoint, you know, that's where you start to sort of run into those challenges. So, yeah, really it's once you've got a few staff on, you know, you can manage those things if it's small, if you're keeping it under, say, five or something like that, it's quite easy to manage. But uh, once you start to, you know, grow past that and you're having to do things like the rostering and, and you know, staff management, that's where you're going to, it's going to cause problems and make life a lot harder. Absolutely right. And then again, I couldn't agree more on the types of services. You know, another example would be if you're doing therapies, like say physio, or yeah. speech therapy, OT, you're going to need essentially like a booking system as well as having the client yeah. management information in one go, you know, so what, yeah, um, there's lots of systems for that. But yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to work in tourism. So I have a, um, a Segway business doing the little scooter tours. And, you know, I couldn't live without my booking system. There's no way I could have done that manually. Um, yeah, so, no, yeah. no, I've got one myself. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I actually, but I just use Microsoft Bookings. So yes. there's a Microsoft app for that. So I just use, I, I used to use Calendly mm -hmm. uh, because that was what was around. And then Microsoft came up with Microsoft Bookings. I'm like, oh, good. That's part of what I've already paid for. Why am I going to have another system? So um, yeah, no, I, I love a good booking system. <laughs> now, I, I, I've come across, um, when I was um, meeting you for the first time, I, I, we've talked about, um, I think there's like an online survey tool that you can people can fill in um, to to kind of get some guidance from, from your business about the types of systems that could be right for them. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how it works? Yeah, so, um, well, I've, I've been in doing this for almost five years now. So, and and really, when I first started out, that was number one question. People were always asking me, oh, what, what software should, should can we use, you know? So over that time, I built up a lot of information around the 60-plus systems out there in the market. <laughs> um, so all of that information, all that IP that we had, I sort of developed a database of that inf information. And I thought, well maybe I should make this a little easier for people instead of having to pay my consulting fees. <laughs> um, they can uh, do it themselves. Uh, so we build a, an online questionnaire. So basically they sign up for it online through our website and they fill in the questionnaire. So there's a lot of really key questions around, you know, what type of business. So that's one of the key questions, what type of services you provide, how big you are, how many staff you have, all that kind of thing. Um, and then the really key thing is, what features you need out of a system. So we've got a huge list of different features and functions that are common in these type of systems. Uh, it's not all, there are always some, some um, exceptions, uh, but the common features and functions that we find in these types of systems. So they fill in that, they prioritise that list of requirements basically and say, this is what we need. Uh, this is essential. This is maybe nice to have or whatever it is. Yep. And then that submit that and it does a comparison of what they've input into the questionnaire um, against our database. And then it comes out with a report of five, the top five best matched systems for what they need. So, um, and they get a report, so lovely report with a whole heap of other information. So they get a report with the top five systems, a bit of information about those systems, and then some other general information about how to go about finding the best system, you know, some tips on on how to choose the right system for them. 
That's invaluable. Um, well, I'm, I'm, we'll make sure to put a link to that in the product, in the show notes, sorry, um, so people can have a look yeah. at that. Um, yeah, I right. guess the final couple of questions that I'd have is that, you know, systems um, fundamentally are a data repository that have workflows and, 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 and they connect things together um, and they do wonderful functions, right? Now, amongst all of the great things that they can do, my more philosophical question is, does it do does it do even great systems do they fundamentally rely on a very competent driven um, and diligent human being you know behind them in order to drive the system yeah of course i mean we we no matter what system no matter what industry really you need people to drive the systems um and i mean in this industry it's a person focused industry it's a person focused field of work um so there's always a need for humans uh we're not we're never gonna get rid of that uh in terms of systems though you know you're always going to need back office staff to be uh managing the client information and their budgets and processing billing and managing the payroll um and and even the the service delivery people um you know they're going to need to provide feedback they're going to need the information on their client they're going to have to provide feedback on their client you know what their progress is, what their support needs are, you know, anything that's changed, any incidents. So there's always a need for people behind the systems. Um, I think the key really about the systems is that we they aim to reduce those menial administration tasks as mm. much as possible. So mm. if you can find a good system that's actually going to reduce all that, you know, administration in the background, you know, let people get on with what they do best um then you know that that's really the goal um and i think you're right you know in what you say there about you know having the right skills i think uh what we find is that you know when someone starts out in this business they start for all the great you know all the right reasons they were well-intentioned and they want to run a business a disability support business because they care that's mm. what they want to do um we find that they're not always the most tech savvy people <laughs> okay. um sometimes but not always the most tech savvy people so i think if if that sounds familiar then mm -hmm. maybe your next hire needs to be someone who's tech savvy <laughs> someone who can actually support your business and manage um you know manage your systems manage your processes and your systems there's definitely that need to have the ability to you know, even if one isn't tech savvy, I would say tech competent, you know, in terms of like, mm -hmm. as soon as you hear the complaints about like, oh, what, you know, I don't know how to open an email or, or to upload a document or whatever, like that, that's a huge training issue. You've got to fix it, right? Um, yeah. And I think that the other little splash of distinction I'll put in there is that one of the things I do outside of sales and marketing is I'm a Gallup strengths coach. And that's a, that, that goes into the psychometrics of things, i.e., um, or should I say the psychology um, it tells you how you think how you feel how you behave um, and that, that's something I'm going to be bringing to the NGIS market more broadly because um, when you can get inside the psychology of a human's mind you can literally understand their motivations and their interests and um, so put it like this um, Anita if you can combine the tech competent tech savvy person that's the you know that's your CV level of skill with that underlying behavior of diligence or analytical thinking or whatever it is that's necessary for that role and that system to combine that's when mm -hmm. i think you get the sweet spot um because because a lot of people they're not interested in that and they don't want to you know be, be, yeah. you know to do that level of thinking or or, or to well, it's just boring to them so they won't do it but yeah. the, the the right psychology will be like no, no that's very important i have to do that therefore brilliant marriage with the system as well yeah, I think I find that a lot too. I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm I'm terrible with technology. You know, I hear that all the time. Um, I don't think it's that's necessarily true. <laughs> I think, you know, I find people, you know, a lot of times people will say that. And then as I work with them, I find, no, you're actually pretty good at this. You know, you are actually quite competent. Um, once they know, once they know how, you know, once they know what the systems can do or, or how to use them. So I think it, it is, as you say, it's not something that they're interested in. They're not interested in knowing or learning. But if they're shown how to do things, then I think a lot of people can be competent with technology, you know. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. And of so, course, you know, there's people like us that can support you. So <laughs> well, honestly, that's why I couldn't yeah. recommend people to come to you enough because it's, um, you know, the, the, when I used to be in IT, I, I, I described myself as a translator. And so we literally had offshore uh, development teams that were coders doing programming. And I was the client facing yeah. person that would go, tell me what you need. And I'll then work with the, the programmers, literally. So I think look, when you're a good IT consultant, you can translate what someone's saying in business terms to a system map. You know, it's kind of the yeah. same thing, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And and that, I mean, that's I probably would describe myself as the same and always have been is that I've always been that person in the middle, yep. translating the the techie into the, into the you know, what everyone can understand. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we find, you know, as businesses grow, um, you know they they need to sort of you know when you when you're first starting out it's not reasonable to have a dedicated IT person internally like that's yeah. you know that's not feasible in an organize in a small organization um, but once they get to a certain size you know maybe once they get to say maybe 50 to 100 staff like that may be a reasonable expense for them to have but that's where you until that point you lean on people with that expertise you know and it doesn't have to be as expensive it's not going to be as expensive as hiring an IT person in mm -hmm. you know you you outsource your managed service you know manage IT managed services to say manage your network and and manage your computers and, and the day-to-day -day, um techie stuff um and then use you know people like us consultants and other organizations to help with implementing your software or providing that advice mm -hmm. around what's the right, you know, systems and the right way of doing things. And I mean, until you get to the point where you do have to hire somebody internally, you know, you may still, as you grow, need to lean on some consultants from time to time. I work with organizations that are, you know, hundreds of staff mm -hmm. uh, because they may have an IT person, but maybe they don't, that IT person is great at, um, fixing the computers and getting someone set up and, and things like that, but they may not have a strategic view and understand how things can hang together. And I guess that's where we come in. It is system level thinking without a doubt. Um, love it. But literally, and that, that, that sounds like a, um, a cliche in saying that. Sorry, the, <laughs> that was a bit of a pun. Um, but yeah, systems level thinking about systems. Um, now, I guess my final question would be, um, what are the upcoming trends in the next 12 months within the NDIS that providers you know, needs to be aware of from a technological point of view? Uh, well, we all know that pace is coming, but um, but we'll just have to wait for that one. So, yep. um, so pace is obviously something to kind of keep your eye on, uh, stay on top of. They are running regular sessions and talking about it. So uh, make sure that you sort of keep ahead of when that's when that change is going to come because I think they will gradually roll it out region by region. Um I think for, for me, uh, in terms of systems and things, I don't think there's a huge change. There's there's still lots of systems out there and mm -hmm. I, I would hope that maybe some of them will sort of dwindle away because I think there's too many. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, some of the maybe not as, not as popular ones might just dwindle away over time. There's a lot of systems and I think that confuses a lot of people. You know, right. a lot of NDIS providers still go, oh, there's so many, I don't know what's the right one. Um, <clears throat> for me, I think the biggest concern at the moment um, for any business, let alone um, not just NDIS, for any business really is cybersecurity. Um, we've all obviously seen and heard in the news about huge cyber attacks for la from large organisations, but this is not something that just affects large organisations. It's, uh, you know, it's across the board small businesses are impacted all of the time and it's the kind of thing that can just sink your business immediately if you have a cyber attack. Um, so I think it's a, um, a a really important area for any business, uh, including small businesses, to address. Um, the In the May budget, thankfully, though, in the May budget, the um, government did announce that they are going to... Um, to provide some funding for small businesses, some so some we're, we're thinking probably some sort of grants mm -hmm. um, around helping people to understand cyber threats and train people in in house uh, to manage cyber threats. So that's good. That's positive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
um, we, the, the, I mean, the government is also going to be making changes to the Privacy Act. Um, that's something that's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, they're talking about it a lot and we're probably looking at something that's going to be a minimum standard. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to have some sort of minimum standard uh certification against that we're not sure what it's going to look like yet but Mm. they're talking about it that it's going to be something that will impact and and be rolled out across critical sectors Mm. and that would definitely hit you know health aged care disability would be part of that so I think it's something that people really need to be very mindful of and when you're starting out keeping that you know in the back of your mind when you're thinking about any systems is thinking about cybersecurity. Um, thinking about, you know, the systems you're using, the measures that you have in place, even with your Microsoft platform, you know, you can't just rely on it's Microsoft, you know. It's not going to be hacked. Of course it's going to be hacked. It's hacked all the time. (laughs) Um, So you need to be mindful of making sure that you've got all the right security measures in place with all of your systems. Uh, And it's not just your systems. It's, you know, there's other things as well. There's human factors. There's a lot of human factors involved in cybersecurity. So mm. um, really making sure that people are educated um, in terms of information security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No, I agree I with think, that very much. So, yeah. I think, uh, you know, probably on, on the on the bright side, I'm really sort of, um, I'm really interested and and watching, you know, artificial intelligence and how that's going to impact the industry. Exactly. It's really exciting. Yes. Uh, it's still still very. Uh, it still seems very new. Um, but I've I've seen some people like doing some fun things with ChatGPT. Yes. Um, helping to write support plans. Um, I know personally through people. I know personally writing care or impact statements. Um, yes. through ChatGPT, <laughs> things like that. So there's some some really interesting times ahead. I think, and it'll be yes. really it'll be really cool to see how that might play a part in in our industry oh it is i, I teach people about um ai um, in my marketing masterclass and uh, chat gpt yeah. along with about three other ai tools i combine them together to look at copy oh, video um voiceover artistry done by ai and uh and imagery like is there's it is it, it, already changing things for, for without a doubt i think um you know on the on the ai side um basically there's an opportunity to get to get on that wave and ride and ride the wave. And if you do it yeah. in these, in this, you know, over the rest of 2023, then providers, there's an opportunity to get ahead. Um, because I feel, I still think in 2024 and 2025, there's going to be people that are not yet embracing it and go, oh, what's that thing? You know, just as, just like if people say, oh, I'm not good with computers. There's always going to be people that are going to be saying that about the AI factor. Um, mm. you know, but, but honestly, though, I think having an attitude of embracing it, and is what can set you ahead as a provider. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I agree with you. On, I agree with you on those points as well. Of course, Ron. That's really interesting on the Privacy Act and, of course, cybersecurity. Mm. Right. Brilliant. Well, look, Anita, and we're coming up on time. Thank you so much. Um, Anita Gover yeah. here is from Techability, um, and uh, what we'll do is we'll make sure to put a link to her business um, again in the show notes. But um, Anita, thank you so much for coming on today. It really has been a pleasure having a chat with you. Great. Thanks for having me. It's been really good to chat. Absolute pleasure. And once again, my name is Chris Hall. This is Peak Provider NDIS Podcast. If you're interested in expanding your business through sales and marketing, get in touch with us as well at peakprovider.com.au.